Welcome to the show where my friends and I tell real world stories of other world magic. My name is Peyton and I'm into it. Hello, everybody. My name is Peyton Turner, and I'm into it. And so is my guest today, a beautiful, amazing soul, um, Beth Loster. So welcome. Hi. Yeah. Good. It's so good to have you. So um, Beth is, it's so funny, Beth. I was thinking about how we know each other. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, you, Beth is one of those people that in my life that I... Um, consider a really good friend, although um, we don't really talk a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's one of those people that as soon as I met her, I kind of felt um, like we may be kindred spirits or um, I just knew I needed to have her in my life. And so fortunately for me, she's remained a part of my life, even though she moved um, from Kentucky, where I live, back to her home state of California. Um, so I'm really, this is like a really special treat for me to be able to spend yeah, the time with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, this show, Beth, is, and we've talked a little bit about what this show is for. Um, and this show is really about intuition and how um, intuition is something that we're born with, something that's innate to us as humans. Um, and, you know, intuition for me is, it, it's, this kind of divine connection between the divine soul piece of me and the greater, broader, energetic divine source that I believe exists all around us. And I think we're born into this world and these human bodies. Um, and we are, you know, very aware of our intuition and very connected. And then at some point, um, our connection to spirit, intuition, God, universe. Oh, oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> That's okay. Um, are calling up. <laughs> it's okay. For those of you who are listening, Beth's uh, video camera just fell over. Um, <laughs> but but um, yeah. And so at some point, you know, we, our connection fades or, you know, dulls or we don't listen to it anymore. Um, but we always have that ability to connect back in. And so I want you to tell a little bit about what you do now and kind of your background specifically with children. And then um, I want to, I want to hear what your thoughts are based on your experience with kids. Cause you have an extensive experience with teaching small children, Yeah. what your thoughts are on intuition um, as you see it with your kids, both your own children, the ones that you birthed yes. and the ones yeah. that you teach. Um, so right now I am, as you said, we just moved back to California a little over a year ago and I started a forest school, um, and a forest school for people who don't know is a school in the forest. Just what it sounds like. I, my forest school is for preschoolers. So it's two and a half to five or six year old kids. And we play outside in the woods. It's, um, the idea is that unstructured playtime in nature is good for kids and kids who grow up playing in nature are good for the world. So um, that's what we're doing. And I started it kind of on a whim about it. I, the planning started about a year ago and we just started this August, um, which as we all know. It's so you started, started, you started a brand new business in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, I did. Um, my first business ever I feel in a lot of ways, like not a risk taker, but it felt, it felt like the thing to do. And so here I am. Um, and I actually, I had started on the process before the pandemic hit, um, and then sort of lost steam during the first month of things where everything, I mean, it still feels pretty wild, but it felt particularly un unsure at that time. And for a minute, I like allowed my stop. And then there was this moment where I was like, what am I doing? Like, you know, especially at first where it felt like we were like, oh, it's two weeks or it's going to be a month. Like there was this kind of time frame where I felt like I could allow myself to pop my life, my wants, whatever else. And then I realized one, if I was going to do it, I had to do it now. And two, mm -hmm. honestly, that what I'm doing 
not that I'm glad we're in the middle of a pandemic, but really aligns with kind of the, the permissible things during pandemic life, which is like, we're a small group, we play outdoors, we have lots of space and fresh air. So I was like, now, now is definitely the time, even though it felt extra scary, extra scary to start a business during a particularly uncertain period of life. Um, but I mean, it has gone swimmingly. We are growing and shifting in ways daily and everybody's very happy. So, um, so talk about, tell me about the moment. Um, like, was there a a particular moment where you were feeling (laughs) terrified and then all of a sudden the light bulb went off and you're like, no, I've got to do this. There well, so there was a moment before that that I actually want to tell you about too. And then yes, there was that too. So yes, the tell like set the scene for us. Like what the initial moment is moving to Kentucky actually was a byproduct of like not knowing what to do with my life, but also knowing I needed to do something different with my life. And it turned out great, even though every person from California was like, why are you moving to Kentucky? Mm -hmm. Um, And then moving back here was kind of the same thing. I was ready for a shift in my life and it came at a really critical moment. And I felt like I didn't know why I was doing it exactly, even though there were reasons that I could say that were the reason I was doing it, but the feeling that I needed to do it was more so what brought me here. but still I got here and I was like, I have two young girls and that's super fulfilling and I love being with them, but I needed something else. And one night I was hanging out with one of my old friends here and she said, have you ever started thought of starting an outdoor school? And I was like, no, no, no. Um, because I, because I like to say no to things. I don't know. I like to shoot down things that seem perfect, honestly. And, um, cause I have a, my background is in early childhood. I've taught preschool for like 10 years prior to starting this. And I, I said no. And then the next day there was this moment where it felt like every piece of my life, like everything I like to do personally from hiking to being outside with my kids, to believing in unstructured play to my experience as an educator, to the literature I like to read, to just all these little things came together. And I was like, no, wait, I haven't actually ever thought of starting an outdoor school, but it's literally like the convergence of every personal, professional, joyful, meditative, whatever thing I've ever wanted all in one. Um, so that so that day, so that day was that just like you were just going about your day and you were thinking of all the different aspects and how much you loved all these different things, or were there signs like you happened to open up a magazine and there was an article about forestry? Yeah. Or something, you know, that's a good question. I I did just have a moment, but I think it was one of those things that when I looked back, I saw that if I had actually been paying attention, like everything before me said open a forest school, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but not I, like, not specifically, I can't remember a specific open a forest school magazine that I saw. Right. <laughs> um, right. Even though life did seem to be like really, yes, do this. And then the first time it was actually articulated was like out of my friend's mouth. And of course I was like, no, 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 absolutely not. Um, but then at least I was able to make space for that idea because the rest of life was like, the answer is actually yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So tell me, um, I, what I do know about you is, and, and you also are a really great writer and um, your blog, um, Love as Big as Your Head, is the <laughs> blog, right? Yeah. I had to think, I had to pause for a minute. Um, your blog is one of the things that I just really, really love about you. Your writing is so perfect. And through reading your blog, I've really gotten to know you um, in a different way. And um, one of the things you talk about openly is kind of this, um, this side of yourself that if I were to describe it, it is the side of yourself that says no without even thinking. Um, And then there's this other side of yourself that takes a step back and it's more of like the philosopher, like really, like really just, you know, there's like the curmudgeon side of Beth. It's like, no, no, no. And then there's this, right. this like deeper thinker philosopher, you know, takes a step back and says, okay, well, hold on a second, you know? Yeah. Um, so tell me about 
how you manage, like, is, is that an accurate description of like your that is like, reality? Yes, that's totally reality. And it's actually like in the context of intuition is a really interesting because I think there's like a superficial me, the superficial me is the curmudgeon. I need to give that version of me. I need to acknowledge it because it is definitely there. And I think pretending that it's not is a disservice. Um, <laughs> But that is, that doesn't feel like my authentic self. Like there's this superficial curmudgeon. Really, I think it comes all out of fear. It's like, you, I say no, because it's easier to think you can't do something, to fail at something, to not make changes, to not move forward, to not take the leap. And that's the like super surface level everyday me. Um and I really, I think that that me is formed, you're talking about kids and their development. And I do want to circle back to that. But um, I think that me comes from like all the shit we're given in everyday life that tells us to like do things a certain way and make sure everybody feels happy and comfortable with your actions, especially as a woman to like be people pleasing, nice, petite pleasant, non-confrontational, whatever. And it's like, you're told messages like that throughout your whole life so long that I feel like I lost that part of me, which is the other part you're describing that really has a deep knowing. Hmm. Like I, if I stop thinking, my brain is really mostly my problem. If I stop thinking, I always know what I need. And I don't know why necessarily just like I mentioned in the the moving or the coming back or whatever big steps I take but I always know I know what's right mm-hmm. but it's very hard for me to get there because the curmudgeon is often very loud the fear is, is loud is there is there a place in your life um where and maybe it's now I don't know but um I feel like there's probably a like a balancing act between the we're just going to call her the curmudgeon bath and then <laughs> Path, right. Yeah. So, um, you know, is, was there a time in your life where it was just, just curmudgeon? Like you were like you, it was the superficial kind of like fitting into the box and, and doing the shoulds that everybody thinks you should be doing and all the societal norms and all that kind of stuff Were that, were that part of you, that curmudgeon part of you, like was running the show basically. I mean, I think, I think that was most of my formative years, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of until I got towards later high school. And then I was like, really pushing the limits of, I was, I was trying to break out of that in a very ineffectual way and dabbling in self-destructive behavior. I mean, sort of in a classic teenage way, but more angsty. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think I felt that sort of dissonance where I was like, I, I have done well in school. I checked the boxes. I, you know, just really, I really, I'm doing what other people want me to do all the time. And then there kind of reached a point where I was still doing everything everybody wanted me to do, but on the other side of that, also really acting out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I spent a long time just being really sad and I, it didn't bring me any further away from the curmudgeon and it Mm -hmm. didn't bring me any closer to my intuition. Mm -hmm. Um, So sorry, I think I lost track of the exact question, but no, yes, I mean, that yeah. person was very prevalent for a long time. And I feel, I don't feel regretful of that time, but it, I don't feel like I lived a lot of my early years listening to myself or even knowing what I wanted or thought. Like I was the kid who tried on like the bohemian look and the goth look. And, you know, it was like, I was trying so hard to be something well but all I was trying to be was somebody else. And God, it's so perfect. Can you like slap that on a piece of barn board and put it (laughs) on the wall? Right. Like I was trying so hard to be somebody else. Well, right. And it never worked because I was like trying to win at the bohemian thing or you're trying to win at being, being the scholar or win at being, you know, Yes. yes. And that's like, I could go on and on about education, but like our educational system does that to kids as well. Like there's one way to learn. There's one way to think there's like a checklist of things to get through. There's multiple choice questions. And while I, I won't dive too deep into that, but it's like, 
you can succeed at it. And I did, like I was an excellent student or you can fail at it and people think you're not doing well, but either way, I actually think it's damaging children. Like it's this very narrow way of being allowed to think and operate and learn and exist in the world. And you're either praised for it or you're condemned for your failure to do it. And either way, I think it's damaging. And so I don't, I think some people are probably a little more resilient and are able to like hold themselves within that. But like you see kids struggling, especially when they get to junior high, high school. And it's because I think that sense of self is like really emerging and it's more and more being squashed. And that's where it just really breaks my heart. Yeah. When, when in your life did you really start to notice, um, that something, um, that your life was not yours and, and then what kind of, um, and when I say your life was not yours, I mean, like you started to really get some awareness around, Oh my God, I've been living my whole life for other people. Like really, who am I? Like, was that when kind of like the depression sadness kicked in or, you know, I don't think I was cognizant of that at all. I mean, I would say that that is what I was probably feeling if I could look back and see like, kind of articulate for that person, whoever I was then, what I was feeling. But I just, I felt somewhere between like depressed and angry for a long time. And then later on in life, drank a lot to sort of like repress that. And it was like, oh, I'm having fun, hanging out with my friends. You know, it never seemed problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's been a long time. Like, I think I have felt that a long time and probably only articulated that to myself in some sense in the last, like, since I've been in a relationship with my partner, Nick, which is the last like seven years of my life. And also when I, around the time that I moved to Kentucky, where I was like, I felt deeply that the life I had and the way I was living didn't serve me, but I didn't know how to get out of it. So I just moved across the country and but the way that you, but I don't feel like for you that that was a kind of like a um, throw caution to the wind thing. I think, I think the philosopher made that decision, right? No, that was, it was absolutely. So the context is my partner, Nick and I met from mutual friends who were like, you guys would love each other. And Nick lived in New York at the time. And I lived in San Francisco. And I was like, I'm sure I'd love your friend who lives nowhere near me. <laughs> um, but we did, we ended up connecting and talking on the phone a bunch and we, loved each other from the first minute. And then we met in person shortly thereafter. And I was like, this is it. And I'm not a, this is it girl. I was like, yeah, we'll see. Like I'll have fun. I'll check you out. Like I'll like somebody who doesn't like me, like whatever dysfunctional, not sustainable things. But Nick, I met and I was just like, it's you. I see you. And did you show up as yourself for him? when I felt Nick was the guy that like, I, from day one, like took off my makeup in front of him and it didn't make me feel self-conscious. And I had been in like entire relationships before where I would like take a shower and put on mascara after I got out of the shower before I went to bed, which I mean, saying that makes me feel like what am I even doing, but Nick was Nick. I just felt like even if whoever I was, was ugly or terrible, that he wouldn't judge me for it or that he would see it, but Mm -hmm. he wouldn't use it against me or decide not to love me because of it. It would just like add to the perception of me more depth. So, um, yeah. And then, so I, we met, we were in love really fast. And then I decided to move to Kentucky within five months, four months of meeting him. Yeah. Um, Again, it was not my MO at all, but anyway, it was not a throw caution to the wind. It was like, I know I need to do this and it feels bonkers, but I know I can't not do it. Like it felt so terrifying and also so right that I was like, this this is it. Yeah. What's always the thinking brain that comes in and says, Oh, you're nuts. Like you're crazy. Like, why would you do that? Like you're you're far away from your family and it's, you're going to be in Kentucky and sorry, people in Kentucky, there's Kentucky's great. But if you're from California, come from California, I can imagine. I mean, even Kentucky makes fun of Kentucky a lot of the time. So Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the thinking brain that comes in and it's all the doubts and fears that creep in. Um, but 
I mean, would you think that that's the first time that you really truly listened to that inner voice? Yes, I was, I was sure. And I was sure like the story felt very romantic to the people who wanted to believe in the romance of it. Yeah. Even though Nick was, he was maybe also just a piece of my needing to make a shift in my life, which I think Mm -hmm. is what I was trying to say before. Um, And then there was another faction of people who were like, this is nuts. Like what on earth are you doing? But I, and I heard all of it and it created that like surface level anxiety for me, but I still was, I did not care. I knew enough deeply enough that I did not care how wrong it seemed to other people. Yeah. And like, I didn't have a job there. He was in school. We didn't have a place to live. Like I, it was wild. Um, at least in context with the person I tell myself I am, which is this like cautious, doesn't like change, whatever kind of person. So, but I, I knew that was my first, uh, your first, your first, you actually answered the call of your own voice. Yeah. 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 Love that. So then go ahead. I was just going to say without like crowdsourcing information, because I feel like that's how I have answered questions for myself in the past. You get called, you text your 55 friends, you call everybody and you're like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And I get enough information. It's like, you know, I have 50 votes that say I'm doing the right thing. And then even still, you know, it might feel wrong or it doesn't resolve that inner question. And it's like outsourcing your sense of self and your security doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And thank you for bringing that up because it's a, it it's, we do it so much. And even I, as, um, you know, as a practicing like psychic medium, like with a pretty accurate um, ability to predict future stuff and see clearly what's happening. Like this, with this 10,000 foot view, when there's something going on in my life, what I used to do is call every woman I knew. Yeah. Oh my God. What do you think I should do? Oh my God. What do you think I should do? What do you think's really happening? Blah, 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 blah. blah. And, um, and it gets to be overwhelming. It's, it's, it's terrible. And then at the end of the day, you just got to wipe it all off the table and sit down and think to yourself, okay, I've got choice A and I've got choice B. Mm-hmm. What does choice A feel like in my body? Right. And if you I'm know, that's if, the thing that and you know, and you put yeah. yourself in that position. Okay. Like, let's say I moved to Kentucky. How does that feel? Right. I stay in California. How does that feel? Right. Which one feels like, which one feels good? Right. Which one feels like peace. Right. Not that it's not scary to think of all the details. Well, and I think that's where we get, that's where life has done us wrong or the, like the training we get is that some amount of discomfort or uncertainty or fear, the right kind of fear. We're like, we avoid it. You know, mm-hmm. the idea is that you're always supposed to be comfortable and it's always supposed to be easy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's true. And that's something actually in forest school, we talk about a lot is it's actually been raining here the last few days and we still have school and the parents are like, well, what will you do? And like, we'll go outside and we'll <laughs> wear clothes that one might wear in the rain and we might be wet and we might be cold but I'm not, we're not going to die. And it's information for your body. Like I put myself in a certain environment. I have a sensation. I feel that sensation. I can identify it. And then I can control what happens next. Like then you go home and get cozy. You take off your dry clothes, wet clothes and get dry. You know, like there's this total absence of focus on giving kids information about their own experience. People want to like say, put on the jacket. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what if they're not cold? I don't tell a kid to put on a jacket. At some point they'll be really cold <laughs> and they'll say, Beth, I want a jacket. I'm like, that's so much more powerful than me shoving it on you and arguing before you get out the door that you have to wear this thing. But that has somehow like good parenting has somehow been confused as like making sure your kid is in the jacket before they even are aware. I'm not talking about a baby, like a baby's not going to ask for a jacket, but like a three or four year old should have enough bodily awareness and autonomy to say, Oh, I need to put something on myself now. And we should trust them enough to let them do that. And I don't, I'm interested to know of all your kids that showed up in the rain 
to play, how many of them thought the rain was like a, a big deal like the parents did? No, none of them. They thought it was so great. We had the best day today. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like they know. They do know. And that's, and that's so, I love that. Um, I love that you brought that up because I do think that that is, we, um, we start telling people what they should and shouldn't do before we even realize that we're telling people what they should and shouldn't do. You should wear a raincoat because it's raining outside. Right. So they, then the kid thinks that they can't go outside and get wet without a raincoat. Right. And it's not to say you don't have like resources available, like you might go somewhere with them and you have a raincoat available or you check in with them before you leave the house, what you think they might need. Like we're not throwing them out in a storm and saying good luck, but like that there's one, we can take one step back to let them know what their bodies need and recognize and have a chance to recognize it before we tell them. Well, tell me, tell me how you think I'm interested to see, uh, to hear what you think about the connection between kids being able to retain their own intuitive abilities and the kind of thing that you teach, like like this perfect example, right? Like you're teaching them how to decide for themselves how they feel and how their bodies feel and what they want to do. Right. And so what's the connection there? I, it's interesting you ask that because I, a parent the other day asked me almost the same thing because her son is highly intuitive. He, Mm -hmm. he knew before she told him when she was a few weeks pregnant, that she was pregnant. He said, there's baby in there. Um, he he brought something to his dad once in the bathroom, like his, his water or something when the dad needed it. I don't know. Just like he, he is sensing the world around him, which I think all children are. Mm -hmm. Um, before we talk or understand language kids feel, you know, like a crying baby is soothed, not by the parent who's just bouncing them, but by the parent who's bouncing them and is calm and Mm -hmm. sure and centered themselves. And that's how they're getting information is just energetically through the tone of our voice and the vibrations of our bodies and our temperature, you know, there's, it's all Mm nonverbal and we all communicate that way initially. Um, and then my kiddos who are, you know, mostly three and four are in a range where they still really are highly attuned to the world around them. Mm-hmm. And so this particular parent said, she said, you know, we see how intuitive he is. And she was like, how do you think I preserve that? And I, I said, I was like, I don't, I don't even think you need to preserve it. I think you just need to not ruin it. You know, like, oh my God, thank you. That's like, so all we we need to do is stop forcing anything like let him feel and let him wonder about things let him notice things and the more we try to like control and force and shape our kids really quickly which I think in the educational system happens a lot with like this early academics whatever else like we're really trying to check these boxes and increased performance and you know it's lots of like achievement oriented things and it squashes the ability to just notice and that's all I want for my kids at school I want them to notice the world around them I don't care if they can identify a tree that's not what we're doing even though we do identify trees and things that we see around us I want them to just see I'm like stand there and what do you see and some kids might notice the animals some kids might notice the light you might notice the birds you might notice the temperature but like all I want is for them to be in the world and see it and that's (laughs) that to me is like that's how you preserve intuition is not I'm not going to tell you shit I'm not going to tell you anything yeah I'm going to let you stand here and see, and when you notice something, I'll say, wow, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Like, that's what you noticed. And the, I mean, I think as long as we can do that, it, everybody would have their intuition intact because yeah. they would notice, they would see what they noticed and felt and not what somebody else told them, not what the textbook told them, not what I prescribed, but whatever, like, like joyfully came through them. And that's what kids are doing. That's why it's the best job in the world because they go out there and they love the world and they love their friends. And it doesn't mean it's not hard or ugly or weird at times, but when it's hard or ugly or weird, we're like, this is hard. This is weird. And we notice it and we feel it. And it 
moves through us and then we go to the next thing. Oh, I just, you know, I used to teach a, um, a workshop called the science of intuition. Mm-hmm. And um, basically what I taught was that um, intuition is the ability to know something without obvious data, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's this knowing, it's this knowing for no reason. Like we, there's no reason why, you know, the thing that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they think that the intuition is actually, actually comes in through the right brain, the right side of your brain, the left side of your brain is more of the thinking brain and the right side is more of the emotional side. Um, and they, they all work together in this really intricate way. Um, but your body is the way that you feel it, mm-hmm. right? So, so your intuition is your, is the divine piece of you that's connected to this greater energy source that holds all the information. Like, like your, your kid at school who knew that his mom was pregnant, mm-hmm. right? Like he got that information from somewhere because he's able to feel into that energy source and probably right. somehow felt the presence of this sure. uh, baby in his mama's belly. So, um, but we, when we are getting intuitive pings that something, especially when there's an intuitive ping that something's wrong, mm-hmm. what it does is it sets off the, um, the fight or flight response in our body. And so we feel like our heart racing or we feel like our muscles tense up. I mean, that's all fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. And so being in tune with your body actually is a beautiful way to be in tune with your intuition. Right. And so what you're doing, I, I love that you you're doing this with your kids because in letting them go out and play in the rain and get dirty and feel and be aware and not be, um, not be worried about whether or not they've got a hat or gloves on and being able to, to decide for themselves because their hands are cold, that they need gloves, right. right? Like you're teaching them to be in tune with their body and connected with their body and connected with the environment at the same time. Right. And you are absolutely setting up a way for them to, to keep their intuition intact. Right. I see it in them. They, I mean, and by the time you're three, there's plenty we can, that has maybe already been done. That's kind of squashed that. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're still so close to it that it's easy to rekindle much more easy than it is when you're an adult and have spent your whole life. You know, it's not hard as an adult, but you got to learn how to get your ego out of the way. That's, that's true. Well, like maybe, you know, that's the thing I say about kids all the time is like, they can learn languages, learn new skills, whatever else. Cause they're not worried about looking bad while they do it. They're just, they will just try and fail and try and grow and try and then succeed at something. And it just is integrated naturally because they're not like, because they don't have a curmudgeon that. yet. They don't yes. have a little yes. curmudgeon yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, do you, and do you, um, so tell me about where you see, um, this going from here, the forest school, you know, I see it. It is, we're growing slightly regularly and I don't want to grow too much. Mm -hmm. I don't, it's not my goal to you know, like franchise my forest school, because I like a big part of what I'm doing is community oriented. And that involves me being connected with the families and being able to support them individually and know them as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, I do, I see, (laughs) I see ways of including more people and creating more diversity in outdoor programs. I'm actually working on starting a nonprofit right now so I can yes. create, create some scholarships, create more kind of um, diversify and expand a little bit, but not in like just adding numbers, but really making it more accessible um, to people other than just this like really privileged Santa Barbara community. Yeah. Um, and you know, as I'm going, I, I'm connecting, I connected with someone early on in my forest school journey and we're working on this nonprofit thing together. Um, mm-hmm. the answer is really, I don't know yet. Yeah. I know where that's going is growing and my vision is not specific, but it has to do with 
what I think is like the antidote to all of the problems we have in the world. <laughs> it's like a very bold statement. Yeah. But I really is. think, I really think that like investing in early childhood and yeah. early childhood being like play-based, social, emotional focused, um, really nurturing unstructured time for kids is like what we need to create a generation of people who are in tuned and attuned with themselves in a way that like, we don't have the problems that we have now. It doesn't mean people won't think different things or have different ideas, but that like our ability to communicate them with less fear. Um, I think that's, I think that's the solution. That's like a really bold statement. I'm like, no, but I'm the entire world, but good. I do. But that's, but I do believe that it's true. I think a lot of the, a lot of the ills of our society right now are all fear-based and yes. fear and fear is ego. Yes. Um, ego is fear and, you know, truth, you know, the divine piece of us is love. And the more that we can keep people um, or, or foster um, intuition and foster love of self first, I mean, because that's really all that happens, right? Like you get told that you have to do this or you have to do that, or you, you have to learn a certain way, or you have to dress a certain way all it's doing is just basically reinforcing that you're not good enough the way that you are right? and that you're not lovable the way that you are. So in teaching the way that you teach um, what you're teaching those kids is that the way that they are is perfect and the way that they are is okay. And it's okay to mess up and um, it's okay to get dirty and you're really empowering them. Right. And that one of those versions of self is not more valuable than the other. Cause I think our, our, our basis of learning our self-worth is in comparison to somebody else, you know, like that we are only as good as that other person is not good, or we are only as smart as that person is not smart. Like it's that. And I do, I think the educational system is based on that. It's like comparison and that breeds fear because if you don't maintain your status, then or if you're not always better or growing more than somebody else, then you're losing somehow. Right. And where is this? Well, it really fosters an us versus them mentality. Right. What I want is this like wholly autonomous self-contained person where your locus of control, your, your, your reference point for the world comes from inside you and that you are only as good or bad as you decide for yourself and not what anybody else says and not compared to anybody else. And that's very hard because that's not, that's not how the world is set up. It's Uh, not, but what a beautiful time to start. I feel like for you starting this business in the middle of a pandemic um, is the perfect time for it because my opinion of what the pandemic has done um, to established institutions is it has exposed every chink in the armor. Yeah. It has brought things that weren't functioning, but were had a nice shiny varnish on them, but that underneath were falling apart. It's wiped off the shiny varnish. And now we can see everything that's wrong with the healthcare, with healthcare, with education, with um, racial inequity, with you name it, Um, financial system, economic system. I mean, all of it. If we're that fragile, things are, things weren't working in the first place. We were just like, coasting along, maintaining the status quo, but it wasn't, it wasn't right. It wasn't right. And I think that um, this is the perfect time to birth a solution. Yeah. That's what you did. You birthed a solution. That's, I mean, I do, I feel this was my third baby for sure. I was like, it was that same, (laughs) like fear, excitement, terror, whatever. But I was like, it's coming at some point, (laughs) whether or not I try to delay this, it's coming. And I am nurturing it just like a baby. So, yeah. Um, so really quickly, before I get into um, the the fun little reading that I have for you, if, if there's one thing in, um, there's one thing in your toolbox that you know will always keep you in alignment with your truth. Like one, one thing that you know that you're, is your go-to thing that can get you back into that, the philosopher like they can get you back into an alignment with your truth and your voice. What is it? You know, it's actually working with kids. And actually I know this because when I was like 19 and I was in therapy and I actually remember talking to my therapist about that kind of grasping at different personalities and feeling like I didn't know 
what was true about me. I, he said, well, what's, what's true about you, no matter where you are or who you're with. And I said, I love working with kids. Like that has just always been my, like, I am my truest self and I feel most able to be that truest self with them. Um, and so thinking about both working with them and then also understanding how people operate in context, when I'm able to think about it in context of like early childhood development, Mm-hmm. that that distills everything down even the complexity of being an adult because I'm like a kid I would always say you can manage somebody's behavior but until you solve the root of what's ever going is going on all you're doing is like trimming weed right and right. that's true as an adult like you can manage you can medicate you can put a band-aid on something but like there's something happening at its core that needs fixing and ideas like that I am, can easily understand in context of early childhood. And mm-hmm. when I'm able to like translate that to the rest of life, it gives me peace. Like I understand motivations behind things and why people are operating, how they're operating ways in which I can help them. And also ways in which I can help myself. Like I feel that's, that's my place. My place is with the tiny people and the ones. Yeah. The tiny <laughs> people and, and, and the simplicity of, of them um, really gives you um, glasses, like clear, yes. simple glasses that you can then look at the rest of the life around you. That's not tiny, and right. have and have a really good formula for yes, you know, uh, translating that to the rest of the life. Yeah. yeah, awesome, so cool. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into um, so this this next piece of the podcast is one of my favorites. So I. Um, because we're all about intuition, I tuned into you before, um, we jumped on this call today and you don't know anything that I got. I just had your permission and you said, of course, um, and this is interesting. So the first, the first thing that I saw, um, and it, this always happens to me when I'm getting in the shower, it's like when I know that I'm going to be doing a reading on somebody that day, um, it's almost like as soon as the water to the shower turns on. I get the image in my mind. Floods over you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Rains <laughs> in. Um, but I saw, they showed me a hammock and they showed me a hammock. It was one of those hammocks that when you get out of it, it folds, it, it becomes really skinny. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not the one with the wooden, it's right. like, it's like the, the hammock that you could, what's it called? Have at the beach. I don't know what they're called. Yeah. yeah the ones you have at the beach. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at first it was white and then it was rainbow colored, but regardless, that's the kind of hammock it was. And then I saw it, it was in between two palm trees. And then I kind of zoomed out a little bit and you were laying in the hammock and you had on this floppy like straw hat and your toenails were painted red, like almost like what did I Ruby slippers was the, was the color that I heard. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you have a toenail polish named Ruby slippers, but that's, I'll see if I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you had this, you had this overall feeling of, I am at peace. You had a book in your, on your chest, but you weren't reading the book. You were just really at peace. And then, and this, I think this is, this may not mean anything to you at all, because I think this is actually a future prediction, but, um, at this point in your life, you're a well-established writer. Um, you have published a book. Oh, okay. um, this is actually in Hawaii. And I think you live there. Oh, um, oh I've never been to Hawaii, but we've been talking about it a lot lately. So if you're not living there, you were there for a while. It wasn't just like a weekend, you know, like a, or like a one week thing. It was like several months. Okay. I want to say that Nick was still flying, but he was working for another airlines, like maybe even UPS or Hawaiian airlines. And that that's what causes the transfer. Mm-hmm. And Melby was like around age seven ish. Okay. So this was not too far off. Um, so I don't know if you guys have ever talked about <laughs> that. Sounds great. Here again. So just take that and run with it. You, you know, ever have, like, um, really depressive readings about people because that sounds like really ideal. You know, I don't know that I've had any. Um, no, Mm-mm. okay. I haven't had any ones. I mean, I set an intention that my I only want um, healing things. Right. Like I'm only working above the line of light. So I, I've never have messages that come in that are doom and gloom. Okay. I mean, there might be some stern, like you got to change this right now kind of thing, right. but that was a really pretty picture. So anyway, that's, to me. That's, yeah. that's that. 
Um, and then the next thing, so I know that you, um, that your parents had children before they had you and your sister and that those children you never met because they tragically passed away. Yeah. And I believe that this, I believe if I remember correctly, that the boy's name was Daniel. Is that correct? Donald. Donald. Okay. Um, so it was, I, I heard Daniel, but it doesn't matter. It started with a D. So it, I believe it was your brother and he showed up with a banana and he was eating a bit. He was older though. Like, so he was in his early twenties and he was eating the banana and then he took the banana peel and he threw it on the ground and he, and this is the message for you. And I'm having to read off my notes here. He threw the peel on the ground and he pointed at it and he said, watch where you put your trash. If you don't put it in the right place, you will trip over your own waste. And I said, okay. Um, and then <laughs> I said, is there any other message that you have for her? And he's like, I'm always here with her. And I said, well, how does she know that you're there? And then he showed me as if we were playing a game of Pictionary with a big white board. And he went up to it and he wrote the words big bird on it and underlined it. Huh. Big bird. And I saw my mind went to big bird, the Sesame street character. Right. Okay. But there's something about big bird. And whenever you either see a big bird or you see actual big bird from Sesame street, know that that's him. No, and that actually immediately makes me think there's literally a Raven everywhere we go. Not a Raven. I'm sorry. A uh, red tailed Hawk everywhere we go at school. Uh, it's always the thing that I notice. We always talk about what we're grateful for in the morning as teachers before we start. And I'm always like, whenever I hear the red tailed Hawk, I'm like, I'm grateful for the red tailed Hawk. And everywhere we go, I have to have a Hawk. That's, I feel that big bird. He said big bird and underlined both ones and looked at me. Um, and I said, do you have any other messages messages for her? He said, tell her I love her and I'm always with her. Um, and he, he's then the, then he shows me the banana again and he's standing on a long path sidewalk and he says, stay on the path and pick up your trash along the way. Okay. And he said, you're doing great sis. <laughs> and, said, and I thought his name was Daniel. And I was like, are, so you are her brother, right? And he said, yes, I'm him. Just tell her to stay on the path. He goes, I'm, I'm a lot like my dad. Okay. So I, I don't know if in, you know, when he was alive, um, I know he wasn't very old when he passed away, but, um, but if he was had similar, similar characteristics as your dad, you might want to ask. Oh ask yeah. About that. Yes. Yeah. They are one of the said, same. Yeah. He said, yeah, I'm a lot like my dad. Yes, it's me. Um, so I don't know what that means. To, if that means anything for you about the banana peel and, and stay on the path, but make sure to pick up your trash as you go along. I will have to think about that. I, I, I don't know right away, but I feel like I will. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. You're welcome. Big bird, man. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think that's, I think that's him then. That red tail hawk. Yeah, I know it is something I actively notice everywhere we go. There's my there's my red tailed hawk. Um, my suggestion would be the next time that you see the red tailed hawk that you talk to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And that it know that it's your brother. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. Welcome. Um, and then yeah, are there is there anything else that you would like, you know? to offer the audience or any. Um, actually, is it okay if I read a little poem? Hell yeah, it's okay if you read a poem. So my, this. My Did you school, write this? What's that? Did you write this? No, I didn't write it. I mean, I haven't written poetry in a long time, but I poetry is, is my jam. And my school is actually named A Thousand Mornings for a School. And it is named after a collection of poems by Mary Oliver. Um, Mary Oliver, for those who don't know, is like, to me, the ultimate nature writer she just sort of she embodies what I'm saying I want for kids like she just is reveling at the world and watching things unfold without trying to attach a lot of meaning to it just mm -hmm. witnessing um and this is one of my favorite poems by her and to me this is like about intuition so yes I do want to share this now it's here it's called the journey one day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. 
though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Men my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough in a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left behind their voices, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognize as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. It's one of my favorites. It's the best. <laughs> it's really the best. That is one of yeah. my favorite Mary Oliver poems. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that. And I think that actually melds with the message from your brother of stay on the path. Yeah. Stay on, the path stay your, on your path, right? Stay on your path. Take out the trash, which is every other sound and excess thing, the refuse you don't need and like mm -hmm. stay on the path. Yeah. Get the crap out of the way. Yeah. Thanks, You're so welcome. Thank you. Yeah, this has just been a joy, an absolute joy. Tell, um, tell us how we can find out more about a thousand mornings for a school. We are on Instagram as a thousand mornings SB. Mm -hmm. Um, and that my website is the same name. Um, I do, you asked where we're going and I like somehow have visions of making the writing I do about school. Cause I write about what we do every week and it's private for parents. Cause it includes pictures of kids. But like, my goal is to really educate more people about why letting your kids play and not forcing them to wear jackets, not that specifically, but things along that line are important. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there will be more someday. Yeah. Then maybe one day I'll be in a hammock by the beach in Hawaii, but yeah. It's well, yeah. I mean, and I would, I would love to see um, this become a thing that you can teach other people how to start a forest school. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually like it right now it's a thousand mornings forest school, Santa Barbara, but there can also be right. A thousand mornings, Louisville, Kentucky, a thousand right. mornings, you know? Yeah. So yeah. That would be great. Perfect. Well, I'll include your information in the show notes. Okay. And it's just been an honor um, and so much fun and so good to see your face and reconnect. Yeah, thank you. Um, and so thanks everybody for listening and watching. My name is Peyton Turner and my guest was Beth Loster and we are both into it.